An accountant decides to leave her current employer to find a better job elsewhere. Soon afterwards, she is sued by that employer for the cost of the professional training she was given while at the company. Another company decides to eliminate the work-from-home policy that had been established during the COVID period because managers cannot trust their employees to do their work, unsupervised and say so clearly. These employees now have two choices, come back to the office or leave. What's missing here and in so many other situations in the workplaces around North America and the world is this, a clear dose of respectful leadership. Hello and welcome to Cool Time Life. I'm Steve Prentice. Each of our Cool Time Life podcasts focuses on a topic dealing with people, productivity, technology, and life, and each offers ideas and facts that you need to know about to thrive in today's busy world. An index of our podcasts is available at steveprentice.com under the podcast link. There is a change happening in workplaces everywhere, and it's not just about the technology that we are using. It seems also that there has been a significant rise in disrespectful leadership. Less willingness to work together, less desire to grow together as a team, and a polarization that matches the type that we are seeing in society at large. So what's going on? To answer these questions and more, it is my great pleasure to have as my guest, Greg Ward, founder and executive director of the Center for Respectful Leadership, a best-selling author, a true pioneer in his field, and a really nice guy. Greg, welcome to the Cool Time Life podcast. Thank you so much, Steve. It is an honor and a privilege to be here. You're you're well known for your experience in this area of respectful leadership, but let's start with the path that brought you here. How did you get into this and where did you come from? Well, it's a rather circuitous tale, but I'll try to compact it down. I actually trained and worked in New York City as a professional actor, writer, director, and producer, and I was that classic starving artist And one day I fell into a job creating a training program using live theater and improvisation techniques for the New York City Police Department. And it was there I got the first taste of doing training in a very, what we now call an experiential way. And I just kind of fell in love with that work. And over the years on and off, I've been doing that. I also became a freelance correspondent in Europe for a while for the BBC radio and also a number of the other UK media. I, I got to cover the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, which was super cool, and uh, met a lot of very famous people, mostly in the arts world in Europe, and then eventually moved back to the United States, where I took a job with a training company that specifically used theater as a training tool in schools and hospitals. And I built a program on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace back in the 90s using my actors. And on the corporate side, it just absolutely took off and eventually decided to form my own organization and moved out to California, where I now live, and uh, became an executive coach and a consultant. And I still do training to this very day, uh, trying to use professional actors wherever I can. I truly love hearing circuitous life stories like this, people who follow their passions and how this can take you into new and unplanned areas. I applaud you for that, of course, and it's a kind of example that I'd love to share with students, especially young students in school who are trying to to decide who they are or who they're supposed to be, and offering that idea of saying, well, don't 
don't so much decide on who you are going to be for the rest of your life. Just think about what you like to do now. What are your passions? Because these will carry you where you want to go. And I think that's just marvelous. So now, this is a time perhaps uh, for some of us who've seen a few decades go by um, of almost surprising levels of hostility and polarization in the world, but also within the workplace. I think we've seen leaders change, and not all of them uniformly, of course, but in significant ways, people are changing and aligning with their own particular ideas and attitudes in ways that perhaps wouldn't have been done a decade or more ago. But leaders are always looking for ideas on how to lead better. They're always looking for that inspiration to learn how to develop their skills. So I guess, you know, let's put it down to some of the studies that are showing that we are indeed reaching unprecedented levels of public disrespect right now. And this is happening also in the workplace. So again, what is going on and why is this happening? Steve, it's an excellent question. The level of public disrespect that we're seeing now really started to ratchet up around 2016. Unfortunately, it's tied in with our politics. Uh, Things became pretty rough, pretty tumble, pretty aggressively disrespectful out in the open during that period of time. And eventually, when the pandemic hit, that created enormous stressors on just about everybody. And if you'll recall, there were certain people who were defined as frontline workers. They were uh, irreplaceable. They needed to be working. And very often they were in retailing, grocery stores, and healthcare, and so on. And we were facing as a, as a world, not just as a nation, we were facing unprecedented levels of stress, uncertainty, illness, you name it. And so what did people do is they kind of reverted to their more primitive selves and started taking out their stress on each other and most specifically on frontline workers. And unfortunately, that kind of societal cocktail of um, deliberate kind of aggression and disrespect in order to achieve political goals, coupled with the stressors of surviving in a pandemic Uh, kind of made for a a perfect storm, uh, allowing lots of folks to behave in ways that they might not normally do under different circumstances. So the research seems to indicate there's two key pieces of research out there, uh, some of it done by Georgetown University, uh, Dr. Christine Porath, who's, who's really an expert on this, Um, She has been studying incivility and disrespect for 20 plus years, and what she has found is that we are experiencing some of the highest levels of disrespect, not only in public, but in our workplaces that we've ever seen since the Vietnam War. And if you recall during the Vietnam War, uh, there were marches in the streets, there was violence, there was bloodshed. And there wasn't social media. So social media has significantly contributed, in order to drive eyeballs, has significantly contributed to our levels of stress because social media is always trying to get us to be scared of something or there's something urgent happening and we need to pay attention. And so our, our, our primitive brains are constantly on high alert for danger, stress, threat, you name it. And so again, this this perfect cocktail, this soup 
of stress and urgency and upset has just uh, taken its toll on just about everyone. Uh, I'll be the first to, to say that I, my fuse is sometimes very short and uh, I have to, it's everything I can do to take a deep breath, calm myself down and not allow my, my primitive instincts to take over. So that's a rather long-winded answer to your question, but to sum it all up, we are all under enormous amounts of stress. And it, we take it out, I, I, something I've said for years, when the going gets tough, people get tough on each other. That's a very good way of putting it. I also thought that The Soup of Stress might be a very good title for your next book. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. <laughs> so you've got, as you said, a perfect cocktail of three things. You've got populist politicians who opened the Pandora's box and basically gave permission for violence and retribution to happen. It's kind of like stepping across that thin blue line of civil behavior. Mm -hmm. But you also have, again, the initial mm -hmm. reactions and the fatigued reactions of the COVID pandemic. So to add to what you said, I mean, taking our respect for frontline healthcare workers and quickly turning it into some degree of disrespect, I think that in terms of as they burned out, they were still forced to work ridiculous hours in line with the fact that the COVID pandemic itself lost favor with public opinion. And then you mentioned, of course, the third element there being social media. We're both old enough to remember a time before social media existed. And I do remember when the internet first came out and Tim Berners-Lee developed the World Wide Web, there was this idea, this notion, especially with smartphones, that we could have all the knowledge of the world literally at our fingertips in our smartphones. And the paradox, how that turned around is that rather than leverage that entire world of knowledge, it seems that people have just focused in on the parts that they already agree with and have magnified their existing biases to that degree. Would you say that that's a fair assessment? I think that's a, a terrifically fair assessment and beautifully summed up. At the end of the day, we're now facing... you. We used to be able to, in a way, go to work close the door and shut out the outside world and put our heads down and work. And, and, and nowadays, we can't do that anymore. It's just not feasible. And, and so whatever happens out in the world is going to be discussed and come roaring into the workplace. And uh, so there is no separation anymore. And those of us who are working from home, well, we've got the TV on, we've got the news on, we're reading our phones and so on while we're also trying to work. So it's, it's just an amazingly different and unique place we are now in that I don't necessarily think anybody anticipated. No, I think you're right. I mean, this adds kind of a fourth element to this cocktail now, which is the, the timeless aspect, not only having access to social media, but the fact that, again, there was no time for rest or reflection. It's a constant thing. And I mean, I see this, we all see this when people are commuting on the bus or on the train, everyone is staring at their phones, everyone's always on their phone. So perhaps the lack of processing time, mental processing time for the mind to work through problems might be a contributor here. But I also want to add one more just for the sake of it, because it's inspiring in my mind. You mentioned that before that you covered the fall of the Berlin Wall as a journalist for the BBC and others. And I remember there was a book that came out called The World is Flat. I think it was by uh, Friedman. Thomas Friedman. Yes. And I think that it was in that book when he said that, you know, when the Berlin Wall fell, the enemy at the gates kind of fell with it. We yes. no longer had to deal with communism in the way that we had throughout many decades of the 20th century. So without this profound enemy at the gate, do you think that perhaps 
not only in the US, but other countries around the world as well, that one of the reasons we have turned in on ourselves, in addition to the loss of time and the overload of information, might be the fact that we as humans need to have some sort of enemy to form our communities around. And lacking that, we have turned in on ourselves as the enemy. I think that's a very powerful assessment. I look at what I see on television and the balkanization of our stations and what's available to us. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I have my favorite news channels that I go to all the time. My, I read my favorite papers, uh, which all have their own political bent and so on and so forth and magazines. So the, there is no question we have become extraordinarily tribal and now that we don't have this big bugaboo, this giant communism coming to destroy us all, we turn on each other. We look for differences within each other and uh, who, who's outside our tribe, who's inside our tribe, who threatens our way of, of life and being. And we, we can't ignore the fact that a black man was elected president of the, of the free world. It's just it, you can't ignore that. And there are tons of people out there who found that absolutely unacceptable in their minds. And they basically retreated to a place of they're coming to take everything we have. Everything we've built is going to be taken away from us. And I can tell you, it was the, what I heard from West Berliners when I was there in 1989, I assumed before I went that the, the fall of the wall would be a big deal on both sides of the wall. And it was for the East Germans. They were absolutely overjoyed with the fall of the wall because it also meant that German, Germany was going to reunify. But the West Berliners in particular that I talked to were just filled with fear and loathing of the communists on the other side of the wall. And I remember talking to this one elderly woman who told me she had family that she hadn't seen since the wall went up. And I said, surely you're excited to see them after all these years. And she spat on the ground. I kid you not. She spat on the ground. She said, they're communists. They're coming to take everything we have. So that is a very powerful fear that plays itself out in all sorts of situations and all sorts of societies. So we see this outside in society globally and not just again in any one given country, but why is this happening inside the workplace with C-suite leaders who are expected to be educated and you know to have some degree of being able to raise themselves beyond this in the interest of the company's prosperity, the employee's prosperity and also the shareholder's prosperity? It seems, and you know there's a wide spectrum here, of course, but there does seem to be a lot of C-suite leaders that do not place much value and respect any longer in leadership, in respectful leadership. And this, even though your research indicates that it is such a key driver of performance and partnership and productivity. So why isn't the C-suite paying attention to this idea of respect and respectful leadership? That's a, a wonderfully deep question, and, and I'll try to answer it as simple as I, as I can. Uh, C, the C-suite is rewarded for results uh, by shareholders. You may remember the, the movement that, that started in the 1990s, uh, uh, shareholder val value, build shareholder value over all else. And so what, what happened is 
we celebrated our cutthroat leaders who knew how to kick ass and take names and drive results and drive up shareholder value. And so the Jack Welches of the world became the, the most prominent examples of this kind of leadership style. What we didn't hear about because they were being celebrated so much, these, these kinds of leaders, what we didn't hear about was the damage they were doing, the turnover that was resulting from this kind of leadership style, this command and control leadership style. Uh, the, the amount of complaints, the investigations, the, the demotivation, I mean, there's just a, a huge list of impacts uh, that can result when a leader just takes a command and control attitude, my way or the highway, I'm going to drive shareholder results over your dead body. And so the, those folks were celebrated. I mean, nobody, nobody celebrates the leader who is patient and thoughtful and kind and respectful. And that's boring. And that doesn't grab headlines. So our headlines are all about the leaders who are take no prisoners, et cetera, et cetera. So we've really built a cult uh, worshiping the leader who kicks ass and gets things done and builds shareholder value, completely forgetting and ignoring the damage that they do along the way except when it becomes so grievous that it blows up the company. And uh, I can give you quite a few examples. I, I think uh, the Enron scandal was the first time we started to see that kind of mentality actually blowing up a company. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> a lot of people are probably scratching their heads right now going, when was that? Uh, but at, at, that was just one, and there are many, many examples where uh, that kind of uh, leadership style has undermined an organization to the point where they are go either going bankrupt or needing to be uh, parceled up and sold and so on. Uh, but, but that's hard to put into a short headline. It's much easier to celebrate something, ce celebrate a, a leader who is who is the opposite of that, and uh, who hasn't who just keeps achieving uh, until, of course, they blow things up. I'm going to make a recommendation for anyone who's interested, by the way, in the story of Enron, because it is an absolutely marvelous business case for people to study, not only in terms of leadership but also in terms of management within a spiraling crisis. There's a book called The Conspiracy of Fools, a true story by Kurt Eichenwald. It's also great as an audiobook, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But going back to what you were saying about socially aware or socially sensitive leaders being boring, it sort of paints a picture that the Lord of the Flies mentality still exists. It's often part of human nature to admire the strong leader over the substantive, emotionally intelligent leader. But do you see this again in, you know, we have a new generation of companies that are that have sprung up recently in the last few years, according to, let's say, the freedom of being a unicorn, assisted by social media, crowdsourcing, and a new management mindset, uh, some of these astute companies that are quickly turning their business model around to address that. You know, can you point to organizations that you know of that do show and practice respectful cultures and respectful leadership and just truly embrace that? Yes, Yes, thank you. Thank you for that question, because people often 
want to want to know who's who's doing it right, who has created a respectful culture. And, and I'm going to give you two examples, one from a very uh, new agey perspective, whole earth kind of uh, take care of the planet, conserve the planet. That's Patagonia. And and Patagonia, as as if you know the history, has consistently since its founding has been about uh, conserving the earth, uh, about taking care of resources, taking care of people. And uh, all the reports, well, of many of the reports from Patagonia employees say that it, it is a wonderful organization to work for. And then I'm going to give you an old world example, which is Costco. And I actually, my team and I have done a lot of research on the Costco culture. Now, there are, there certainly are staid and 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 rather uh, basic in in their approach to their technology and retailing in general, but they create a culture of respect. And simple things like saying please and thank you, and and I often talk about this. I was in Costco. Uh, not too long ago, uh, I mean, I'm in there almost every week, but uh, not, not too long ago, it was towards the end of the day, everybody was lined up and getting ready to check out. And the person in front of me needed a price check. It wasn't available on the item. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is really going to hold up the line. And and the supervisor turned to an associate and, and said, would you please uh, run back to aisle number 4033 and check on the price of this uh, product. And the associate said, absolutely. And they took off at a trot. And they came back very, very quickly. And the, and the supervisor said, thank you for doing that so quickly. I really appreciate you for that. And it was sincere and it was genuine. And you could tell that the associate felt respected and valued by their supervisor and vice versa. You could tell the supervisor knew that he could depend on that associate. And that is, in general, what we have found in the Costco culture. It is one of respect. And if you're a Costco member, then it's very likely you, too, have felt the respect. And, and that's something that, ha- that we've identified. If you treat your team with respect as a leader, they will treat your customers with respect. And all the boats will be lifted. Everyone will benefit from behaving in a respectful way. Yeah, it seems very easy to do that, but I think it doesn't have to be a new age idea. I know that Richard Branson of Virgin, for example, was a champion of all this through the latter decades of the 20th century. Is he, by the way, somebody that you admire? I have enormous admiration for Richard Branson, partly because of his chutzpah. And just, you know, nobody was more aggressive in self-marketing than he was when he started out. And but he he backed it up with a focus on kindness, on listening, on encouraging innovation, not bullying people to be innovative, but much more about encouraging people. And he's built these the virgin extraordinary culture and these great companies. And uh, it, you know the proof is in in the pudding that you can thrive as a company if you treat people with respect and decency and civility. Absolutely. And it's great that you can point out these companies that are either new or long in the tooth, but agile enough to recognize that in our changing society. I know that I could talk to you about this all day, but of course I want to respect your time as well. 
Uh, I mean, thinking about the people who are in positions of leadership right now, but not necessarily always C-suite leaders, but managers at any level, uh, there are probably some of them at least probably looking for other ways to improve their leadership style to fit more into this respectful approach. Others might be just purely curious as to what this might mean with regards to their particular style currently. So what could you recommend to leaders of any type of group to help them maybe see themselves or develop more respectful, valuing practices for themselves and for their teams? We developed what we call the seven respectful do's. And these are very simple, as you say, practices that they can do all the time, which not only are perceived as respectful, but will also result in reciprocation, respect being reciprocated. So the the first is basically be the first to respect. Don't just wait for someone to treat you with respect because you're a manager or a boss. Instead, go out of your way to to treat people in a way that they want to be respected. There's nothing wrong with saying good morning and how are you? How's it going in, in a respectful way? You don't have to wait for someone to come to you and say something respectful to you first. That's that's number 1. The second is, is I alluded to this before with my Costco story, is use what we all know of as common courtesy, things that we learned when we were kids, but when we got busy as we grew up, we tended to forget them, like saying please, like saying thank you, like saying excuse me when you bump into someone, or excuse me, do you have a moment to talk, or would you like me to come back another time if you don't have an appointment to speak with someone? Checking in, uh, is it okay if we talk later on today, or do you need to reschedule? Thing, little things, little courtesies like that go a long way. One of the things I learned a long time ago, for example, and I'm always teaching managers, is ask people how they want to be addressed. Would you like to be called Stephen? Would you like to be called Steve? Is there another name you would prefer I use? And don't assume uh, that someone doesn't want you to use their title. I know many people who are doctors have doc have their doctoral degree, their PhD, and they want to be addressed as Doctor So and So rather than as their first name. So don't make the assumption on how people want to be addressed. Uh, instead, ask them. And then I won't bore you with all the rest of them, but there is one that I want to uh, bring out to you, and it, it, it's called getting your shift together. And what I'm talking about is your emotional shift. If you're a leader of any kind, problems are going to come across your desk uh, all the time. And if you have negative emotional reactions that are observed or felt by others, you're going to infect the rest of your team. So you must find ways to manage your emotional shift. One of the best things to do is go outside, take a walk in the sunshine or even in the rain. There's science that proves if you get some natural light in your eyes, you're going to feel better or do some kind of physical activity. Stand up, sit down, take a deep breath. Whatever you can do to change your physiological experience in that moment will more than likely cause you to calm down and not react so negatively all the time. You have to be aware that people are watching you and they're seeing how you react to problems. And if you're reacting negatively, you're going to infect them. Greg, this is information that people need and they need it desperately, even if they don't know that they need it right now. So where can they find out more about who you are and what you do and your books and services? 
if people would like more information about who I am and what we do at the Center for Respectful Leadership, all they need to do is go to respectfulleadership.org on the internet, and they'll find out a lot of information there. They can also reach out to me at hello at respectfulleadership.org, and we will respond, do our best to respond within 24 hours. We also have books available. Uh, The most recent one is called Restoring Respect, and they can purchase that on Amazon if they'd like, or they can also find it through restoringrespectbook.com. So we've got ourselves the book and the website URL, and now that you can get back out into the real world and meet and talk to people in person once again, tell us a little bit about where you will be next, and what is your itinerary for speaking and working with people around the country? I'm about to embark on a national tour of as many SHRM, Society of Human Resource Management, chapters in the nation that will invite me. And I am going to be speaking first on March 7th in Oakland at uh, what is called Inspire HR West, one of the largest HR conferences in the country. And uh, shortly after that, I'll be speaking in Pasadena, California, and then I'm eventually going to be speaking in Salt Lake City and uh, Virginia and uh, Pensacola. And so uh, if, if folks want to go to see the tour schedule and maybe attend one of my uh, talks at one of the SHRM chapters, they can find the tour schedule at restoringrespectbook.com. They'll see the schedule there. And I, a lot of the chapters welcome non-members and uh, I would love to see you there. That is fantastic, Greg. I'll make sure that the details are also in the show notes. You know, Greg, this is the first time that we have worked together, but I sincerely hope that it's not the last. You are just an absolute fountain of knowledge and relevant and valuable knowledge that I would love to partake in even further. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me on the Cool Time Life podcast. It has been my pleasure and a real honor to be invited. Thank you, Steve. Once again, you can find out more about Greg and the work he and his team do by visiting the Center for Respectful Leadership at respectfulleadership.org. Greg's books include The Respectful Leader, Seven Ways to Influence Without Intimidation, also Bad Behavior, People Problems and Sticky Situations, a tool book for managers and team leaders, and finally, Restoring Respect. Details about these three books can be found on his Amazon author page. Just search for Greg Ward, that's G-R-E-G-G, two G's, Ward, or use the link in the show notes. If you have a comment about this podcast, you can drop me a line through the contact form at steveprentice.com, where you can also find my social media links. A full listing of past episodes is available at steveprentice.com slash podcast. I update all episodes of the podcast regularly so that they remain a collection of viable and timely concepts. So check them out and download whatever feels good. And if you feel you are getting value from this series, please do leave a review. And if you want, you can support us on Patreon. Contributions from our listeners allow me and my team to spend more time researching and preparing our podcast series. So if that feels fair to you, please visit patreon.com slash Steve Prentice. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.